The Athletic. MM stands for Mick McCarthy, not Merlin Magician. Evans will hit it all! That is special! It's magic at Molyneux! Dreaming is for free. Hello and welcome to the Molyneux View podcast with me, Jackie Oatley, and a man who knows more about Wolverhampton Wanderers than he knows about any other club, which is why The Athletic asked him to write about them. Tim Spears. Hello, Tim. Hello, Jackie. Fair, right? <laughs> very accurate. Very, I always wonder what you've got in store for me with these intros. But yeah, I'm very always good. very, very fair to you. There we go. Now this is going to be a pod of two halves. In the first half, Tim and I are going to sit back and not really say very much. We'll just mumble and stumble a bit. Then in the second half of the pod, we're going to burst into life and demonstrate all the enthusiasm we should really have shown in the first half of the pod. Then you can all discuss amongst yourselves why our first half was so lacklustre. And then we'll do the very same thing next week. You can subscribe to The Athletic and read Tim's behind-the-scenes insight for just £3.99 a month for six months. That's 40% off the full subscription price. There's so much brilliant analysis from various top writers in there, so have a listen to the podcast as well via the app without any adverts, although you will miss out on Tim's latest Manscaped ad, which is a real shame for you, but never mind. Go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash wolvespod for your 40% discount. How are you, me babby? Oh yeah, fine. Yeah, fine. One week rolls into the next. Here we are. Here we are. <laughs> We're in March. Come on, there's a bit more reason for optimism. Isn't there? March the 8th, as we record, is a big day for some of us. Very big day. Because listen, can you hear this? Silence. Oh, Nobody asking it. for got help it. with Just fractions. Oh, Nobody you. saying... Can I have a break? Can I have a snack? It's all gone quiet over there. It's just wonderful. It's just wonderful. Um, I'm a little bit tired today, Tim, so if you can do more of the talking, that'd be great, because I only got back from the darts very late last night, the UK Open. The darts, 180. It was great, but oh, yes. uh, my favourite players, the Wolves fans, Jamie Hughes from Tipton and Wayne Jones, the Wanderer from Wolverhampton, both lost to the same player in the first match, Martin Clearmacher, which is a shame, but never mind. And But did I see you dancing on uh, national telly with the South African man whose name escapes me. Devin Peterson, yes. I love him. He's a great player and the loveliest lad and great character. And he does this he does this dance, but of course there was no crowd there. My studio was right in front of him. So I just started dancing with him and I got my private dance, which was fully legal. Didn't have to pay any extra for it. And it was all above board, but unfortunately... You can always find a way in lockdown. Yes, well, you always find a way. You've got to do what you can, really, haven't you? Make the best of every situation. But he's, he's a great lad, so you should follow Devin Peterson, a really, really funny bloke with a tinge of a... Uh, a Bradford accent, because that's where he lives now, which is marvellous. Anyway, the best thing about the weekend was that I didn't have to watch the first half of Aston Villa Wolves. But the worst thing about it was that I got back at midnight last night, got up early this morning, and then watched the whole of Aston Villa Wolves. And, um, I mean, frankly, Tim, I... W- I was stunned to find out that Wolves weren't great in the first half, but they were better in the second. I don't know about you. <laughs> you're so, so, you've been spending too much time with me. You've, you, you're really sarcastic these days. I'm a little bit delirious. I haven't had much sleep. No, it was, it, was, it was very similar to recent weeks in terms of performance levels. I mean, the, the first half, second half thing. I mean, in recent weeks, we had, remember Southampton away, that awful first half, and then, and then they won it in the second half. Man City away last week, of course. And now Villa away as well. Just an unbelievable sort of contrast between the two halves. 
Um, a point was probably a fair result, but what was really alarming in that first half was the amount of sort of basic mistakes they're making. We're not, we weren't talking about tempo or tactics or chances created. It was just Dendonka stepping out of defence and then playing the ball across the face. It was it was Matinho passing it straight out of play under no pressure. It was Semedo letting the ball under his foot from a, from a five yard pass. It was Patricio sticking a goal kick straight out of play. It was it was um, William Jose just kind of stood in the middle of the pitch, sort of doing nothing. It was these are nothing to do with tactics or Nuno's instructions. It was just basic basic stuff that they were getting wrong, and they were lucky to be nil nil at the break. Obviously, Villa hit the woodwork twice. Um, I thought Conor Cody ha- held the defence together, to be honest, in what was one of his best performances of the season. You know, the, the Dendonka and Saisi, the side, not not very solid, but Cody was great. Um, and then the second half, as expected, uh, they're, they're on the front foot, they're playing higher up the field, uh, they're creating chances, uh, should have scored one or two. It's unfortunate that their chances all fell to Cody and Saiz. Um and uh, and yeah, they were much better and they were full of energy. Even even Johnny in the last minute, sort of ch- chasing everybody down, and uh, looked fit as a fiddle, which was great. So it's it's the same problems and the same strengths. And um, kind of coming up to a year now, I think it's a year this week or next week where where football ground to a halt, as as we all remember, uh, with the pandemic. And that's sort of when Wolves started this rut, really, in, in terms of um, their performances. They haven't been themselves. For a year now, um, and I don't think it's it's a coincidence really that, that sort of without fans and and without their normal routines, they just sort of lack in intensity. And then when you took Jimenez out of the team, things just got a lot worse, and uh, and they've sort of muddled through. Um, they've gone back to basics to get some results. They've got those results, and now they are where they are. And I think there's a case of a lot of fans just wishing the season away to be honest which is pretty sad but that's where um that's where we're at, at the moment so we'll see what the next two months bring um but at the, at the moment yeah they've got nothing to play for and um if they continue to to play like they did in the first half at, at Villa Park then it's going to be a long a long couple of months yeah you wrote in your article it's extremely annoying watching them toil away with no shots on target playing like strangers giving the ball away with more frequency than Kenneth whoever he is and then they turn it on in the What's second half. What's the frequency, half? Kenneth? Do you remember no. that one? No. What is that? Oh, you don't do popular culture, do Good you? God. Sorry, I forgot. Who's Kenneth? Anyway. That's an REM song, isn't it? Oh, anyway, I like carry, on. carry on. I still don't know what you're talking about. And then they turn it on in the second half, and you're almost even more annoyed for them not doing it when they were shooting in the other direction. Nuno sees it, of course, but he couldn't offer any answers as to why it keeps happening. And this is the same old, same old, same old. Everybody, Wolves fans in particular, all of us, scratching our heads, asking colleagues, friends, pundits, does anybody have any idea why Wolves are so poor in the first half and then stuff it up in the second? Because if you say it's a lack of confidence thing, that doesn't really follow because they've usually finished the game before really strongly because most second halves, they're better. So why do they then revert back to the poor, slow, passive, boring, defensive status quo I mean as you say it's nothing new this is not a, this is not a pandemic no crowds issue um I mean last season it was it was even more stark last season certainly in terms of results you know as, as I put in that piece you've just referenced they were third in the second half table last year third if results from second half counted with a goal difference of plus 23 um compared to 19th in the first half table last season with a goal difference of minus 12. 
I mean, the the swingometer there, John Snow would be would be um, losing his mind. It's in, it's incredible, really, the difference. This season, the records are actually pretty similar. If you look at the table, I know it doesn't count for anything, but it's interesting to note the table. Uh, they're fourteenth in the first half and eleventh in the second half. They've scored thirteen in first halves and fifteen in second halves. They've conceded fourteen in first halves and twenty-three in second halves. So in terms of goals for and against, they're actually worse in the second half, albeit that's slightly skewed by the hammerings they took at West Ham, uh, Man City and Liverpool, where they conceded a glut of second half goals to kind of skew those figures slightly. But I guess the difference is, is performances, really. And yeah, they're so... Uh, th- th- there's definitely an element under Nuno of wanting to sort of break their way into the game gently, suss out the opposition, tire out the opposition try and control the game and then pick them off on the break in the second half with their sort of superior fitness levels. You know, having not done an awful lot of running compared to the teams like Leeds and Liverpool, they don't run a lot, you know, Wolves, because because they sit deep with their press, with their low press. So that's sort of an element behind it. But then when you've got Nuno saying he doesn't know why that is, then that that just opens up a Pandora's box of more questions. You know, if Nuno doesn't want them um, to be playing like this in the first half, then it's, it's not instructions, is it? So... It's just so frustrating. I think last season they had the defensive capabilities to keep games tight and then push on in the second half. This season, not so much. So they're often finding themselves falling behind because, as we know, they never score the first goal. So it's a constant, never-ending, really annoying problem. Exactly, because it's not as if it's a new tactic. They were using it last season, but to greater effect. Now they're using it this season with arguably a weaker squad, with a poorer defence without the centre-forward, who they rely on so much, as we well know. And therefore, they're just not as good. And the summer recruitment, you have to look at as being poor. Because if you think back to when Wolves played Tottenham at Wembley, for example. Yes, absolutely. So second best in that first half. Harry Kane scored from miles out on his left foot. And they were so much better in the second half. Completely different side. Absolutely brilliant. And a lot of Wolves fans, me included, would say that was one of our favourite away days. So it's almost like they're doing... A similar thing now, similar tactics, but with less good players. Is that fair? And less intensity as well. They, they do. They, they miss the fans. I, I know it's not an excuse. It's an explanation. I really think they miss that ten percent that you get from the crowd. You know, because even before Jimenez's injury, like I said, they they were looking sort of lethargic a bit, and they were playing within themselves a little bit. You know, either side of of the season break. Um, I mean, we're all sort of. Because this keeps happening every week in terms of their performances not being as they were, we're all searching for reasons why they're not the same. People say they need an overhaul in the summer, the tactics are wrong, the personnel are wrong, everything's wrong. Because we're constantly searching for answers, but I I think you've just got to go back to repeating yourself and saying the same things that we've been saying all year. I don't think they've turned into an average team, and I don't think Nuno's turned into an average manager. I do think they miss that 10% from the crowd. I think most teams would say the same and football is pretty boring to watch at the moment. I've got a piece coming out this week which sort of explores issues around that and issues of fatigue and mental fatigue playing a big part. And you know, I've said it time and again, but but playing catch-up after no break in the summer, after a 59-game season with the league's smallest squad, is going to set you on the back foot and they've not really properly recovered from that. Add in a summer of poor recruitment, add in Jota and Doherty going... Then Jimenez's injury, that's 70% of last season's goals. You throw all that in. We've been saying this for months, and those problems just haven't gone away. So we're all sat at home analysing absolutely everything, but those key issues of poor recruitment, no summer break, 
59 game season last season with a tiny squad and then Jimenez's injury those are all still there and they're not they're not going away so and in terms of the boring aspect and add in the fact that Nuno's trying to change his style of play this is just what I was going to say and so, you know we, we call them boring and they are boring to watch particularly in first half they weren't boring when they were playing 4-2-3-1 they weren't boring when they were drawing three all at, at Brighton and should have won it 4-3 they weren't boring when they were capitulating 2-3 at home to West Brom um, and they weren't boring when they were winning at Arsenal 2-1 and putting a fabulous performance. You know, they were having more shots. They were creating more. They were even more entertaining with how they were dreadfully defending as well. So we, it's easy, easy to forget that. He's gone back to 3-4-3, as we all called for. We all called for it. Journalists, fans, everybody. You've got to ditch this formation, Nuno. We're heading towards the bottom three. So he did that. We, he did what we asked of him, really. He's got some results on the board... They still haven't got enough points on the board to survive. You know, it's 35. I don't think they're... they're with the funny results you'll get now, and we saw Fulham winning at Liverpool, they're not, not mathematically secure to stay up. So I think he'll continue this way. They'll get enough points on the board. And then, hopefully... I'm asking for a lot here, but hopefully, once they get to 40 points, we might see... You never know, Jackie Oatley, some freedom and some expression and some experimentation maybe for the last two months of the season. You never know. I can see it in your face. You can't believe it, but you never know. We might see a bit more 4-2-3-1. We might see Vitinha or Morgan Gibbs-White get games. Otherwise... Or Otisari, it... though. He definitely won't let Otisari <laughs> play again, will he? Or, um... <laughs> There's something unusual there. <laughs> All right, Nori. You know, we, we might see that once to get to 40 points and there's absolutely no prospect of relegation. I hope that's the case. But when you look at the 3-4-3 system they've got now, it is going to be pretty dull until Jimenez is back because Jimenez changes everything. He changes everything going forward. So you either need Jimenez in a 3-4-3 or you need a strong defence in a 4-2-3-1. Neither of those options are available to Nuno right now. I do hope, like I said, once they get a couple more results, we can see an interesting couple of months in terms of experimentation, which Nuno's never really had that privilege in his three years as Wolves manager, pushing for the title in the championship and then um, and then the last two seasons, pushing for something, pushing for seventh towards the end of the season. So, got an opportunity. Let's uh, let's see what happens. But I won't hold my breath, Jack. Well, after the Villa match, Connor Cody spoke to Patrick Davison of Sky. And I just love this thing that Connor does, that when he's being interviewed, he always looks as though... The interviewer is speaking Japanese and he's trying to make out what he's saying. He does that, you know, when he furrows his brow, he squeezes his head mm-hmm. of his head like, I'm just concentrate really hard on what you're saying because it's <laughs> going to be really difficult. And then he starts talking and he unfurrows his brow and then starts talking very fast in his gas accent. I just love the way he does that. Anyway, he said the first half wasn't good enough. We were giving too many balls away, too passive, and we were too far away from Villa. It was sloppiness in our play not to try to attack and go for the goal. It needs to stop. We need to play the way we do in the second half, all the game, and then we might get a better result. So that's coming from the captain, and it makes it even more baffling why Wolves kick off. And in fairness, having just watched the game back in the last couple of hours, the first five minutes or so were okay. They went forward a couple of times, and it's just a period after about, what, 15, 20 minutes that Villa just started bossing possession, and then Wolves just retreat. And then there was a simple free kick they had on the left where Wolves expected them to just float it into the danger area. And they thought very cleverly, having watched lots of Wolves clips, no doubt, no, we're going to just play the ball down the line and get a cross in because Wolves are rubbish at stopping crosses. And sure enough, they had the free run of the park to just get a cross in. Matinho scampered over and put his arms up to defend himself when the cross came in. It was poor. And that's what led to them 
hitting the woodwork. And you just feel Wolves a bit of a soft touch on that front. But yeah, as the game wore on, it was it was just frustrating that Villa were having all the chances. And then you got to half time and you're thinking, well, this will be different in the second half. And of course, they get slated on the television for being terrible. And Adama got criticised for not doing enough. What was your take on his performance? Uh, I thought he had two or three players on him every time. And they shepherded him towards the left corner flag, which is exactly where you didn't want him to be. And if you've got Jimenez on the field, I think I think it would improve him massively. Uh, we saw how many times they combined last year. But William Jose sort of... Um, him and Tro, they're sort of a bit linear, really, just kind of running in straight lines and, and, and not really combining very well. And and I, th- I think we're seeing a knock-on effect with Neto, who's kind of seen all this and thought, well, I'm not going to get much help from elsewhere. And he hasn't really got much of a partnership with Semedo yet, and certainly not partnership with Jose either so Neto's trying to do it all on his own and I, th- I feel like Troy is doing the same so um, no I, I, I didn't think he particularly played badly I just thought he was he suffered with having two or three players on him every time and Johnny's not going to offer that out, outlet on the overlap as, as much as Semedo should be on the other flank so um, so yeah but Troy's been very good recently very very good he was virtuoso against Newcastle and pretty good against Man City too always feels a little bit dysfunctional doesn't it in the, I mean, we talk about this every week it's getting a bit dull now but, but in terms of this case of getting the ball to the wingers and then everyone else seems to stand around and go okay what can you boys do and then they'll they'll run yeah, down the channels and they'll do really well they'll do the best Adama will beat three men and look up and try and find an easy pass but there's no midfielder there to receive the ball and then to drive forward say James Madison style and do something with it or it just doesn't seem to be working they don't have the quality in midfield they don't have the quality in defense to be solid enough to give the platform to the rest of the players to then go and push on and if you are going to play Matinho there needs to be so much higher up the pitch to get the best out of him instead of being in a more defensive role which just doesn't suit him at all and it just seems to be kind of square pegs in round holes and and just not working as a team so summer recruitment is absolutely huge we've had loads of tweets today by the way um, let's go on the on the first half thing. Andy Roden, this first second half thing has to be a clear strategy. Keep the fans quiet, no more, as in was that a tactic previously. Clever use of the bench, no more. It could be to conserve energy. I think Cody was acting when he said we need to stop it after uh, the Villa game in that interview. It cannot be coincidence. It simply cannot. Thoughts? I don't think anyone's saying it's coincidence, are they? We're just trying to put our, our fingers on what it could be. Stephen, question for Nuno. What exactly is his attacking approach? I feel I have a clear understanding of his defensive approach and how he favours control, but how is he going to balance this with more possession and an attacking threat? I think on, on the Cody issue, I, I, I don't think he was lying. I think I think he was referring to some of the things I was talking about at the top of the pod about how just, just misplacing basic passes, giving the ball away and putting themselves in trouble. Um, in terms of the game plan, it's it's been the same for years now, since Nuno took charge, that they will start the first half off slower. Ian Mann tweeted to ask, he said, Nuno used to go on about how important performances are and results will naturally come, which is a good point. Performances have been horrendous for well over 12 months. Why is this not questioned and what's Nuno's thoughts on our decline? Um, he also has the final say on signings and the small squad is by design, which is poor, he says. And the performances thing, I, I asked him about it on... Saturday and this is the important thing for me he's not burying his head in the sand he's not doing what what a host of Wolves managers before him have done and completely ignored the issues that his team have got he's not doing that he's not burying his head in the sand he was listing everything after the Villa game as to what's wrong first half second half thing being a major factor in that but also their use of possession their tempo their intensity passing between the lines he says all this 
we say it, we see it, he says it, and he sees it. So that's that's the massive thing for me. If he was saying we're playing well, we're playing really well, we've lost, we've only lost one in seven. That's great. He's not saying that. He's not saying that at all. He knows that they're that they've got a long way to go to get their performances back up to where they were. That's the important thing for me. And all the factors we've discussed at length are are, are behind that, in my opinion. So um, I'm 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 optimistic to be honest that next season we'll see a, a return to some kind of normality in 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 seeing the wolves that we know and love with him and his back with a strong summer of recruitment hopefully and Nuno at the helm in my opinion the squad they've got is um, is pretty good to be honest they should be doing better than they are and I think they will do better next season I really do yeah with Bolly back in defence and hopefully a new centre half and a new centre midfielder and Raul back up front it could be a very different situation. Andy McLean, for a team supposedly transitioning into a possession-based approach, why are we suddenly seeing such a high number of sloppy passes over a short distance? Against a team like Man City and their pressing, it's more understandable. But it's happening every game now. They've stopped that, though. They've, 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 they've gone back to where they were in terms of being a counter-attacking defensive team. They stopped the possession thing quite a while ago. Um, I think he's realised that with the players he's got, it's not happening at the moment. So I think that's something to look for next season. It's something he wants to do. But it's they've they've given that up at the moment. It's not happening. But in terms of the sloppy passing, there's a lot of that going on. It's very hard to explain, isn't it? Usually, you'd say maybe that's a confidence thing. Just think they're not on it, and they haven't got much to play for. They still miss the fans. They're tired. They all want to go for a little break back to Portugal, see their family. They can't. These things don't go. Neves hasn't seen his newborn baby yet. Yeah, that. I mean, that is mad, isn't it? I mean, that is that's a very personal, awful situation. Absolutely. And Nuno has. We talked at length in January about Nuno. Struggling after the West Brom game, we all we all sort of concerned about his mental health and, and the the way that he appeared on the touchline, and we were all like, God, you know, what's wrong with Nuno? Is he okay? You know, he hasn't seen his family for ages. Two months later, he still hasn't seen them. So that's these things aren't aren't going to go away. It's easy to look at the ninety minutes on the pitch and be angry and and be frustrated and and accuse the players of this this and that. All these issues that we're all going through off the field. They are, they are the same for Wolves, Wolves' players and staff, and uh, they're not going away. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Helen Jones, has Nuno taken Adama as far as he can go? He doesn't have a football brain. He rarely runs into the right space. You see him looking for advice from Nuno and the players. Can he get any better? He currently looks permanently confused. Well, it's interesting in, in Nuno's presses, and you and I listen to all of them, every single word, uh, twice a week. And he's the one player that Nuno constantly picks out as being amazing, wonderful, special talent, unique talent, wonderful person. We share a birthday. We have so much in common. He's effusive. And it makes you think, is that measured? Because whenever he's asked about, say, Neto, he goes, it's a team game. He has so much more to improve on. Whereas Adama, it's proper arm around the shoulder, big him up type thing. So does that mean he constantly needs encouragement? Does he doubt himself? Uh, that's, a, that's a good question. I don't think doubt himself. I just think he needs he needs pushing. Yeah, often Nuno, he, 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 he'll big Jimenez up. He'll usually big Cody up 
and he'll certainly big Traore up. But the rest, Neto, as you say, I think he's very conscious of overhype and of players believing their hype. And certainly with Neto, yeah, he's he constantly he did the same with Costa. I remember time and time again. No matter how well he was playing, oh, he's got to do better. He's got to do better. With Traore, yeah, that there's a sense there's a sense of him wanting to realise his true potential, and he's referenced that a lot in the last couple of press conferences. Actually, uh, it's, I'm going to feed it into a piece I'm doing on Traore this week, looking at why he's got no goals and no assists, but he's not actually playing badly, really. When you, when you look at his performances, yeah, Nuno is is constantly. I mean, he made a really interesting point before the Villa game. And he said, look, one day everything's going to drop and Traore is going to be the player we want him to be. And he said, I just hope that I'm here for when that happens, he said, which was a very interesting thing to say. And it got poured over on Twitter as to, oh, does Nuno think he's he's going to leave in the summer? Is Nuno off? And all this kind of stuff. It wasn't said like that at all. It was said with a bit of a smile. And it was like, look, when Traore becomes Adama Traore, God, I just hope that that me and him are both at Wolves um, when that happens, which is lovely to hear. And I tend to agree with that. I, I do think he's certainly got the potential to, and I, I do think it'll happen for him one day. I do, I do. God, you just want to get the right players around him to bring the best out of That's him. It. When That's I say it. right players, I mean tactically, positionally, um, the way they play, where they find space, the way they interact with him, and the way that it just worked with Matt Doherty, for example. You want and Jimenez and Jimenez; those were the two either side of him. Well, do you remember we went through a phase of Adama and Jimenez having the most? What was what was the stat? Some stat about most most combinations in in Premier League history in a season. They were heading that way. I don't think they quite reached it, but it was up there with Ryan Fraser and Callum Wilson from a couple of years ago. That's right. But so much about football is not about individuals. Even if you have a fabulous individual God, talent, no. it's Absolutely. about partnerships. It can be you know one centre half on his own can be decent, but with the right partner alongside him or her. They can be a phenomenal and formidable force. And it's the same with, I don't know, say, Beckham and Neville. Neville on his own, without somebody like Beckham in front of him, might not have been the player he was. But the combination and the fact they were best, best mates as well, but it worked brilliantly on the pitch. Bully and Muchy? How many, how many goals did, did, did Muchy set up for Bully? Absolutely. Absolutely. 100%. And then if you stick Bully alongside somebody else, John McGinley, um, then it might... Imagine that. Why did I say that? Ugh. Yeah, why did you say that? You could oh, have said Robert Taylor, players. Thomas Frankowski, any, any of those lot. I could have done. Paul Grant Glocklin. Holt. He did play Paul Glocklin. <laughs> mm. um, but anyway, yes. So partnerships, I think, are absolutely huge. And I think with the Dharma, I do feel that's the case. But you do also wonder about, and we touched on this before, about whether they'll think, oh, is Nuno even bigging him up for a sale? I mean, that's just one other way of looking at it. I, I don't think so. But is that another thing? I don't think he, I don't think he needs to. No, I don't think he needs to do that. Nobody's thinking about his transfer kitty for the summer because transfers in the summer are such a big deal. They're so essential. And Nuno needs to be thinking about it now. He needs to decide now how he wants to play next season. Is it predominantly a four? If it is, he needs to, presumably they're working sharpish on a centre-half and a midfielder, but he needs to know whether he wants predominantly a, a four with a two, three, one, for example, or does he want to play the way he's always played, in which case it's a different type of, of player that he's looking at. Yeah, I'm sure those conversations will be happening. I don't doubt that at all. And yeah, it is... It's, People might be surprised to hear that, that, yeah, they didn't plan to go forward at the back at all this season and that was not factored into last summer's recruitment. So I'm sure and I certainly hope that they'll have learnt that lesson and, and they are coming up with a big master plan, Jackie, for next season. Um, but kind of talking on... Yeah, there will be. There will be. There are people whose jobs it is full-time to be doing this at the club and they have a very good recruitment team. Um, 
in terms of partnerships and trailway, I mean, D- Dazzling Dave asks a pertinent question, or a, a big question, as he puts it, on William Jose. What are the thoughts on him now? Seven games, no goals. But is his overall contribution enough? And seen plenty of talk about sort of Jose or Silva, who should be starting. I think we've seen in the last two games that Silva's noticeably brought more enthusiasm to the pitch in, the, in kind of the last sort of 20, 30 minutes. But not necessarily equated to Wolves playing better in those. In fact, they sort of tailed off against City in the closing stages and tailed off against Villa in the closing stages as well. So it's not a direct correlation, but it's an interesting comparison to make. So put together a few stats in terms of the, the, the contrast between the pair to try and explain, I think, why Nuno is probably going to persist with Jose in a starting role. Shots is a big one. Jose does not have many shots. He's had 10 shots in total in eight appearances, seven starts. So he averages per 90 minutes, and I should say he had no shots at all in three matches. He averages per 90 minutes a shot and a half per 90. Silver averages three shots per 90 minutes. Now they've roughly played the same amount of minutes now. I think Jose's on about five 90 minutes and Silver's on about 720 or so. So they Sort of, you can, it's sort of fair enough to compare the two. Touches in the opposition box. No one would be surprised to hear. William Jose is down at three touches per game in the opposition box. Silver's almost double, more than five he averages in the opposition box. So with Silver, you're getting more shots and you're getting more touches in the opposition box. Now where Jose's strengths come in is in terms of link-up play. So... His pass completion rate in the final third is 82%. So every time he plays a pass in the opposition third, 82% of the time, he's finding a teammate. Fabio Silva's down at 57%. So he's giving the ball away a lot more in the final third, which, of course, is so important to, to getting Wolves upfield and generating momentum and creating chances. Also where Jose is stronger is on uh, winning duels and winning headers. So 47% of his duels are won. That's when he's going in for a you know, challenge or competing with an opposition player. 47% duels and 50% of his headers are won as well. Silver is down at 35% duels and 31% headers. So a notable drop of about 10 20%. So what those stats kind of say is Jose is, is stronger. He's better in the air. He links the play far better. He's not giving the ball away. Whereas Silva is having far more shots. He's getting in the box. He's getting into better positions. He's touching the ball more. But he's only scored one goal in open play. So if, if you're looking at the two, and obviously we know Jose hasn't scored and Silva scored one, you, you want Jose in your team for that link-up play, that strength, occupying defenders, winning duels, winning headers, and finding teammates with passes. And I think there's a decent balance there between Jose starting matches and Silva coming on if you're trying to get a goal in the closing stages. But yeah, that goal stat is um, is the all-important one and neither of them are contributing in that one. So again, we wait for Jimenez. When you talk about Jose's past completion rate is higher, I think of a lot of the time he touches the ball, he comes so deep up towards the centre circle and he lays off a short pass to a midfielder and then he goes back to collect. So when Silva comes on later in a game, he's usually nearer the opposition goal and he's got defenders around him nicking the ball away. So I wonder whether that's got something to do with it. No, but that's that, that number's from the final third, mm, that is. Okay. So that 82% of completed passes is, is in the final third. So yeah, you're right, he does do a lot on halfway, but he's, he's also more far more often than not, he's finding a teammate 
in and around the opposition box as well. And it is extraordinary to think that since Raoul's injury on November the 29th, only one Premier League goal has been scored by a Wolves striker in all that time from open play, apart from the penalty at Burnley, which Silver won and scored. So fair play to him for that. Still give him credit for that. But in terms of actually scoring a goal for a striker, can you think of any other team in any division that would go that length of time without more than one goal? When I say from open play, even that came from a free kick on the left against the Albion at home. It was a free kick that was cleared by the Albion out to the right-hand side, ball back in. So Willy Bolly was up there for the free kick. He was still up there. And there was that fabulous little back heel to Silver and a very, very good use of his body in the finish. But it seems that both these players seem to be so much better when they have somebody else alongside them, certainly Fabio Silva. And I just wonder whether there's any kind of case that could be made for playing them alongside each other. Potentially. Or I don't know I don't know who you'd sacrifice in the team to bring in an extra striker, particularly when they're so vulnerable defensively at the moment. Well, Bolly into central defence instead of Dendonka. Dendonka in for Matinho. And then, yeah, it's tricky because you have to start Triori and Neto. But even at some stage in the game, even late in the game, I don't know, take off. Take off. This is why you want them to be flexible and be able to move to a four, don't you, if they can do it. Like a lot of teams can do that within games, not just Premier League top teams. But a lot of teams are able to play more than one way. And if you can switch, say, in the last 20 minutes to back four, have an extra body in midfield with the option of playing a two... I'd just like to be able to see a striker play off each other because both of them, Jose and Silva, just seem to be battling away to not much avail and then Wolves lose the ball again and you think what if they just had a teammate alongside them someone to you know flick the ball around the corner to and then continue the run and get the confidence up as well knowing that they've got somebody to play off yeah I think I think the scope for that next season if if you're playing a 4-2-3-1 you could you could potentially change that to like a 4-2-2-2 which Southampton have played you know pretty successfully at times in the past year but I, I don't see it happening this year and the problem with Jose is I mean I mean, he's he's playing for his future here. He's he's like he's twenty nine now. Big, he's one big career move in him potentially. Surely, surely he wants to to play in the Premier League and and become a Wolves player permanently. But the way he's going, it's, it's not going to happen. And I think his movement in the box is the biggest problem. I mean, he's got an impressive goal record in La Liga. Uh, reached double figures for the past four years. Scored against Real Madrid, Barcelona, Napoli. So is 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 it just him that's the problem, or, or is it his teammates? I think the intensity of the league just isn't for him, really. And I remember speaking to to Phil Ball, who's an author and a regular Real Sociedad watcher, and he said, William Jose started great for us, first two years, no problem, scored loads of goals. And then we went to a high-pressing system, and he couldn't do it. He's not got the mobility to do that. So he questioned whether the intensity of the Premier League would suit him, and I think that's come to fruition, really. I remember... um, in his first start at Crystal Palace, there were three or four balls into the box in that first half. I remember Hoover put a great cross in, Pedence put a great cross in, and Jose was about a yard behind play. And I remember thinking he could have had three or four great chances here, but he's a yard off it. And I remember thinking at the time, don't be too hard on him. He's been in the country for five days, cut him a bit of slack. Well, you know, seven games later, exactly the same problems are happening. And there was a couple of good balls that went into the box at Villa Park, and he just, just wasn't on it. So it's difficult, you know, he's over here in a new country, living in a hotel in a pandemic, but ultimately that's his job, it's a big chance for him and, and sadly he's not taking it at the moment. So again, all points lead to Raul Jimenez and what I would say is that with Wolves only having pretty much one game in a month now, 
the amount of games that they've got left to play without Jimenez, and we don't want to rely on him too much and we can't expect too much of him, but should say there's not going to be many more games, I don't think, without Raul Jimenez in the squad. All the signs are very good and Wolves are talking very positively about his return. So fast forward a month and we may be talking about the return of Jimenez sooner rather than later. As things stand, I mean, you would think there's no chance of them paying over £20 million for William Jose, is there? No. It's just not working out for whatever whatever that reason is, whether it's tactical, whatever. When he first came, honestly, I was I was so excited about him. I haven't seen him play and I thought, this is what Wolves need. He's got height, he's got power, left foot, right foot. He can score headers, he can link up play. In theory, he had virtually everything. And even without that much pace, it didn't really matter that much. But it just hasn't happened. And his work rate's not good enough. And it just seems to be a combination of factors and the way Wolves play just doesn't seem to suit him. He usually scores plenty from headers, but he hasn't really been close. There was that one against Palace, wasn't there? But it's just not happening. It's just not happening for whatever reason. So that's something else for them to think about. Swiss old gold. Dendonka is wasted in a back three. He's the only midfielder that consistently bursts into the box and is the key to a strong first half performance. Kilman has to return alongside Saiz or Bolly and Cody. Matinho's future is as a second half sub. And also on the Dendonka front, Mark Clues. Has Tim stopped his Dendonka loving yet? He's simply not good in either midfield or defence. Um, he's an interesting one, Dendonka. I don't remember. Because when he's in midfield, you have him bursting into the box, but he never scores. It hasn't for ages. It's July. Yeah, I don't remember love, loving him in uh, any particular way. Um, I, I you know, I admire him greatly, but but I don't remember. Uh, I don't remember loving him. Um, and if I did, it was when he was in midfield. Certainly not as a defender. I thought he came in and did well against Leicester, was it? Was that the first game when he was in the back three? But but yeah, he's he's not a centre-half for me. And the sooner Willie Bonney's back in the team, the better. Hopefully starting on Monday. You would think so. Do you think Nuno's just being cautious in terms of the fitness levels of Bolly? You don't think he actually preferred Dendonka? I think I think he's done his hamstring you know, twice in quick succession. And that's I'm, I'm no expert, but that's probably one of the most vulnerable areas of the body for, for recurving injuries. So I just think they've been very careful with him. Why he's on the bench, I don't know. Because um, if he's if he's not fit to start, then I'm not sure why he's on the bench. But um, but he was making a point, I noticed, at Villa Park of, of warming up a lot in the first half. In fact, he was the only player warming up in the first half and I didn't notice any Wolves players struggling. So I don't know if that was him saying to Nuno, look, I'm all right here, mate. I'm running up and down the touchline. Um but yeah, hopefully he'll be uh, hopefully he'll be back for Liverpool. John Harris, when is Pedence back? Five weeks on Saturday, and that's when he said he'll be back on his Instagram. When Bolly is back, will we see Donk back in midfield, or are Matinho and Neves cemented in that position? No, certainly not cemented. We've we've seen Nuno rest uh, Neves and Traore this season, so I can see that happening again. Pedence, yeah, he, he he should be back soon. Hopefully for Liverpool. If not, hopefully he doesn't go away for international duty, and then he should be fine for for West Ham in early April. But um, but you'd imagine if he's going to be back for Liverpool, it would it would just be on the bench this week, and then um, build him up for the for the end of the season. Pedence's best position, wouldn't you say, ideally in a ten, but there isn't that position available. Yeah. Yeah, I think I think he looked I think he looked really promising when they when they played four two three one and, and he was in the ten with Traore and Neto either side and I think if he was playing behind Jimenez, you know, they, those two could get up to all sorts to be honest as a pair. Um, that uh, that's quite salivating for next season if they can get them all get the band back together. But yeah, his best position is as a ten. I can see him being on the bench for the time being after Traore's recent upturn in form. John also asked thoughts on Rafa Mir twelfth. Top goal scorer in La Liga. Did you see the goal yesterday? Mm, great goal. 
Great goal. Do, doing really, really well. Is he the answer because he's scoring goals in La Liga? Well, we've seen from William Jose that's not necessarily the case. I think I think Nuno's made his mind up on Rafa Mir and I think if he was going to come back it would have been in January when they were desperate for a striker. If they didn't bring him back then, then I'm not I'm not sure when they would, to be honest. And I think this summer with Jimenez and Silva already there, it's asking a lot for Rafa Mir to, to come back and, uh, and play for Wolves again. Richard, why only eight on the bench and no Owen Otisawi? It's clear Joao needs to be replaced. Why not try Otisawi, Vitinha or Morgan Gibbs-White? I thought the midfield two were disconnected from the team in the first half. Yeah, he seems he seems really reluctant to play Otisawi, and I sort of I understand that when they're looking for results, and I think we saw at Man City away the inexperience of him there, you know, dawdling in possession just outside his own box. So, you know, for the past six weeks, it's been all about results to get over that slump, and you don't want to throw kids into that situation, really. So, I think that's why he hasn't featured, but hopefully, he will between now and the end of the season. We can see what he's all about. He wouldn't have not put him on the bench because of it, though. Surely he must be injured or something to not fill the bench. Yeah, no, there's, there's, no, he's not, he's not, he's not dropped him because of what he did at Man City. No, it'll be an injury issue. Wolves next play at home to Liverpool on Monday night. That's an eight o'clock kickoff. It's live on Sky Sports, and it's Wolves' last game for just under three weeks. So they would love a decent performance and result. Liverpool all over the media at the moment for having lost their sixth home league game in a row. They're eighth in the table and 22 points behind the leaders Manchester City, having won the league by 18 points from them last season. But their away form's okay, and they travel to Molyneux having won three of their last four in the league away from Anfield. James Pearce is Liverpool correspondent for The Athletic and is good enough to join us now. Hi, James. Hi, Jackie. Now, we know all about Liverpool's injury problems, but how would you sum up all their issues in a nutshell for us? Um, yeah, I think it's just been one of those seasons where pretty much everything that, that could have gone wrong for Liverpool has done right from you know that Merseyside derby back in early October when they lost Virgil van Dijk to a, a ruptured ACL. And then you know, it's just a snowball effect from then on, really, with Joe Gomez and Joel Matip. The other two senior centre-backs also suffering season-ending injuries. I think we're up now to 20 different centre-back pairings. And, you know, with so many setbacks, confidence has taken an absolute battering. I think recruitment has been another issue, you know, an area where Liverpool have rightly been lauded, you know, on the back of those Champions League and Premier League triumphs for, for getting so much right I think this time around, you know, they've got a lot wrong. You know, with the the exception of Diogo Jota, the the deals that they've done just haven't worked so far. All right, all right. Did you have to mention that? Hey, I'll tell you what, one answer and he just slips that one in there at the end. Cheers for that. Uh, James, it's uh, it's 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 Timmy, mate. Um, obviously, so, so much made of their home record, six six home defeats in a row is incredible, really. But but in a world of um, of no home advantage, you know, in, in COVID times, how do you explain the discrepancy between the home and away form? I mean, I, I wish I could. I think it's very very difficult to to make sense of. Um, you know, I think probably the only element you could point to is is that you know I think still when Liverpool go away. You know, there's probably a bit more emphasis on on the home team to to actually take the game to them. Where I think you know, I think the blueprint is almost there for teams at Anfield at the moment that you come and sit deep and and you soak up what little pressure there is, knowing that Liverpool are so vulnerable defensively that they'll give you a chance or two or three decent chances at some point anyway. And then once you get your noses in front, Liverpool just don't look like coming back in games. So. Um, so yeah, for whatever reason, I think I think it is difficult to make sense of. But um, 
you know, playing away from home has has suited Liverpool recently, which is, you know, in a, in a strange old way, obviously their season pretty much hinges on, on Wednesday night's Champions League game against Leipzig. And it, it probably actually helps Klopp's team, the fact that's been shifted to a, to a neutral venue in Budapest. Yeah, so you think it would be nice going away from home where a team come out to attack. That doesn't happen at Wolves, so you don't need to worry about that. <laughs> that should be sitting here. Let me just tell you what's going to happen, OK? So Wolves are just going to sit in for 45 minutes looking like they've got no confidence and just let Liverpool play. Let Liverpool build up their confidence. Liverpool will probably nick a goal. Then Wolves will really step up a gear in the second half. They'll be so much better and everyone on Twitter will be, well, how come Wolves didn't start the game like this? And then they may or may not nick a goal and it may or may not be a draw. <laughs> it sounds like it's going to be a thrilling spectacle, doesn't it? And <laughs> <laughs> um, I mean... You talked about the fans, though. We've already talked on this pod about how it really affects Wolves, especially given their traditional counter-attacking style and how that really helps Wolves um, to lift their game traditionally. But Liverpool did have fans in at Anfield for the first time, didn't they, when they played Wolves? And they were by far the better teams and no complaints on that front. But Klopp did admit afterwards, and the players did, what a massive lift, even just a few thousand fans, just seeing them and having the cause and effect of doing something good on the pitch and it lifting the crowd. How much it really benefited them? Yeah, and, and I think that was probably the, the perfect example that night. Of you, could, you could feel it in the stadium just you know, even though it was a small number of fans, from from the moment Liverpool came out to warm up, there was just something different about the entire occasion, and it it certainly energised the players in in that game. And you know, Wolves had the misfortune of being the the team on the receiving end of it, and and that happened a few times after that. You know, especially when Tottenham came to Anfield. I think it's probably the week or two after the Wolves game, and yeah, I think. It's you're kind of loath to use it as an excuse because, of course, it is a you know the same for all teams the absence of fans. But I just think the Liverpool play in a very emotional brand of football, and it's all about you know everyone being in it together and and that the the energy from the stands transmitting to the field and and it, and they've certainly they they they've, they've looked lost without that to be honest. And you know at the moment it, it's a group of players who, have, who look like they're feeling sorry for themselves. Obviously, you so said the season hinges on the on the Leipzig game, and people will be listening either either before or after that on on Wednesday night. But but looking to Monday's game in particular, I mean, I was reading your piece, James, on Monday morning about the lack of motivation at the moment, and and, and Klopp, you know, the master motivator, even struggling to get them going. I mean, in terms of the league now, what what is their motivation for the for the rest of the season? What what are they playing for? Well, if if you ask Klopp, he would still say top four is still the target. I don't think. I don't think you'll catch him throwing the towel in. He'll he'll tell you there's still thirty points to play for, and it, he you know they won't give up give up that chase. I think you get some Liverpool fans who will say you know ju- just focus on Europe now and almost give up on the Premier League, but you know that's that's just not going to happen for starters. What is it? Two million quid at stake in prize money for every single place in the Premier League table in terms of the final uh, position. So yeah, I think it's a long shot. I think. I think it's going to be very difficult for Liverpool to finish in that top four now. And and then you could even make an argument, do Liverpool really want Europa League football next season? You know, Would you almost be better off finishing out of the European places completely if uh, rather than finishing you know, fifth or sixth? But yeah, they just desperately need to try and get some momentum back into, you know, at the moment is a season that looks like it's, it's just absolutely falling to pieces. And in terms of this next game at Molyneux, what would you say is Wolves' best chance of getting a result? Would you say being positive from the start of the game to, to not let Liverpool get into the stride and maybe to try to continue to dent their confidence? Yeah, I, I, I'm, I mean, I think, 
I'm sure when they look at the, the tapes of those two back-to-back home defeats Liverpool have suffered this week, you know, against Chelsea and against Fulham, you know, I, I, I think they, they will know there's no need to go really chasing the game early on. I think there's almost a sense of just be solid, be robust and just be patient and wait for your chance because I think that's the thing against this Liverpool team at the moment you will get chances, you know, especially with how Wolves like to counter-attack. I'm sure they will have seen how, you know, that, that high line of Liverpool Liverpool's at the moment looks so horribly vulnerable. Um, one, because of the personnel that's in that back line, because it's not Van Dijk, it's not Gomez, it's not Matip. I mean, you know, on Sunday at Anfield, you had, you know, Nat Phillips, who is, you know, a very hard-working professional, but... You know, very limited, really. And then a, a young kid in, in Reese Williams alongside him. So, you know, Wolves forwards should be licking their lips at the prospect of, of facing that. And I think the other issue for Liverpool at the moment is, you know, that high line only really works when they're pressing really well as a unit and shutting down space. And at the moment, that's not happening. And teams like Fulham did, are knocking it in behind and having a, a ridiculous amount of joy. Tim, what do you think Wolves' approach will be? Do you think they will sit deep and then try to spring the defence with a pace of the likes of... I nearly said Jota then, Adama Traore and Neto. Well, they don't really know any other way how, to be honest. And I think that's exactly what they'll try and do. And Traore's done pretty well against um, Liverpool in certain games in the past. I think Neto has as well. I, th- I do think they'll be looking forward to it. It's We say it every week, but it's such a shame there's no fans at Molyneux because it'll be a fantastic night, Liverpool coming on a Monday night. But um, but yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be all about that first half, I think. If... if if you do let Liverpool get into their stride, then um, they could easily take control. So it's up to Wolves not, not to let them do that. And what do you think Wolves will do in terms of personnel? Stick with the same? They haven't got many options. Uh, only kind of making one sub a week at the moment, and that's Fabio Silva. And as discussed earlier, I don't really see him starting at this moment in time. So Willie Bolly coming back in will be the obvious one if he's fit. But otherwise, not many options, to be honest. And if Bolly comes in, Dendonka into midfield or not? Yeah, definitely. Uh, it, it, would, it would have to be. It would have to be. Um, then, in place of Medina? Then Donker and Neves in midfield and Bolly at the back would be the logical change if possible. But otherwise, there's not many changes you can make anywhere on the field. And James, I know we're talking ahead of the Leipzig game, but what are you thinking in terms of personnel and what Klopp will do on Monday? Yeah, I mean, I think the, the, the good news for him is he has got a couple of players coming back. Um, Firmino and and Kabak, who, um, who were missed out the weekend, they were both... Only minor issues, so if you know they should be back, if, if they don't feature against Leipzig, they should, should certainly be fine for for Wolves. So you're probably looking at you know a Kabak and and Fabino probably centre back pairing on the night. And I suppose the one positive is you know it's Diogo Jota did get that first start since he came back from his uh, his knee injury under his belt last weekend. So that does give Klopp another option in that front line because that's been a big issue for Liverpool. The fact he, that with Jota being out for the best part of three months. He, he just hasn't been able to rotate despite the fact that you know, Mane, Salah and Firmino have, have looked jaded and way off the pace. James, 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 you're suggesting here that Jota might come in and really spark this beleaguered <laughs> Liverpool team into life got- at the home of his former paymasters got- where he was so adored for doing precisely that. <laughs> Excellent. We look forward to it. You've just told us exactly how it's going to go on Monday. So thank you so much. (laughs) 
<laughs> I'd, I'd say there's probably more chance at the moment that Kajana Hoover comes back to haunt Liverpool with the way that Liverpool's season's going. We'll see. <laughs> it's intriguing, whatever happens. Thank you so much for giving us your time, James. Cheers, guys. That is James Pierce, and Wolves fans can buy a virtual ticket for £20 for that game. All the proceeds go to help fight food poverty across Wolverhampton. So just go to the Wolves website and click on Tickets in the top left-hand corner, and then click on the Wolves Foundation Feed Our Pack symbol. Tim, you talked about your Dion Sanderson piece that you were writing last week. It is now out, and it's lovely to see the quotes from Lee Johnson, the Sunderland manager, about him. Yeah, Lee Johnson uh, was very good about him, actually. Very good very good manager, doing a great job with Sunderland. Um, they're pushing hard for the top two, finally, after after a couple of really barren years. So, And Dion Sanderson is, is playing a, a massive part of that. Um, take, I mean, it took him a while to get into the team. The keener listeners amongst our fan base would have been keeping an eye on Sanderson, you know, this season-long loan spell at Sunderland in League One and, and wondering why he wasn't playing. And I gather he he did come close to having that loan spell ended in January and Cardiff came back in for him. Uh, they were impressed with what he did there last season when he was at right back in the Championship. But now, after a couple of injuries, most notably to, to Bailey Wright, who used to be at Preston, this centre-back slot has opened. And Sanderson's come in and taken it with with the proverbial both hands. And he's blossomed, it, particularly in the last few weeks. The last four... Uh, man of the match polls that Sunderland run because they run one on their Twitter after every game who was man of the match Sanderson's won the last four in a row and he scored his first professional goal at the weekend and he's absolutely loving life and um, I went to see him uh, for the crew game uh, a weekend and a bit ago and he just looked different and it reminded me of when I went to see Morgan Gibbs-White at Swansea he just looked different just his stance you know shoulders out chest out um, he looked taller. He was talking a lot. Despite being the youngest defender on that Sunderland back line by a distance, he was talking a lot. And um, Lee Johnson referenced that after the game and said he's really been impressed with his maturity. And also compared him to a Rolls-Royce in terms of the way he defends. I mean, he is that type of player. And I had a really good chat with Stephen Elliott as well. People will remember the, the former Wolves and Sunderland striker who's a keen Sunderland watcher and has been raving about Sanderson on Twitter. So I thought, I've got to give him a call. And he just says he's got everything, basically. Um, and he has. He's so, he's so, he, he can be a rugged defender, but he can be really good on the ball as well and bring it out from the back. He's got that perfect mix. So what happens next is what Wolves fans want to know. And um, he's out of contract at the end of next season. So his destiny is in Wolves' hands, really. And for all we know, Nuno may have made, made up his mind on him and, and said, look, he's not going to make it at Wolves. But... I would hopefully envision a situation where he gets a chance to impress in the summer when he comes back to Wolves. And if they've still not decided that he can make a step up, and, and we've got to say, you know, League One to the Premier League is unbelievable difference in quality. But he can be doing no more than he can at the moment. So we'll see. Hopefully he gets a chance in the summer to impress. Maybe a championship loan would be good to further his career next. Or maybe he can come back and, and do something at Wolves because he's got all the attributes to succeed. From what I'm told, he's got the right attitude. Comes from good stock. Tessa Sanderson, his aunt, is the is the javelin Olympic winner from 1984. People will know. Does she have much influence on him, do you know, in terms of his him being a sportsman and an athlete? I mean, I think she lives locally at the moment. I think she's in London at the moment, I think. I remember trying to track her down once when I was in my journalist days in the Express and Star, trying to go around Wensfield. There is Zoom, though. Have you heard of Zoom? No, but this is when you life was normal. And, telephone um, and Zoom. She did some run around a park in Wensfield and I tried to track her down. Um, 
I would imagine a, 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 I would imagine a massive influence on his on his um, on his upbringing, and I know his his parents, his dad Eric, is kind of very demanding and in in a good way and demands high standards and and um, former Wolf striker Dean Sturridge is his agent, I believe, as well. Um, obviously, he he comes from great sporting family as well with um, with Daniel, his nephew, and Simon, his brother, who used to play for Blues and Stoke. So um, so he's got a great support network. Which is crucial, and from what I'm told, he he wants to make it a Wolves. You know, he's the, the lads from Wensfield. It's his hometown club. That's what he wants to do. So he can do no more at the moment in terms of his loan deals. He's doing very well. Did well at Cardiff. Doing even better at Sunderland. So um, and he's he's making a, he's making a career for himself and making a name for himself right now. Hopefully that career is at Wolves. But but either way. He's doing himself justice, which is yeah. great. Uh, that's really positive news. So that's fantastic. Really good article. Well worth reading. And that one on Dion's son. It, it was all right. It was okay. I won't go that far to say it was good. Um, Wolves women finally, finally have a fixture in their diary. They haven't played since the 13th of December. They've not been allowed to even train since then, for goodness sake. But now they know they will play their FA Cup second round proper match against Nottingham Forest on Sunday, April the 4th at two o'clock at the CKW Stadium in Castlecroft behind closed doors. Um, But the interesting thing is they'll only have been allowed to get back together on Monday the 29th when it's allowed by the government. So that's just six days to prepare for their first match. My goodness. And they haven't been able to train together, remember. So it is asking a lot, but from the FA's point of view, they feel they couldn't do anything differently because they've got so many fixtures to cram in and with the Olympics as well coming up in the summer, fixture congestion. But you just hope there aren't too many muscle problems and injuries and what have you, because this Wolves team, by the way, have won all nine League and Cup games this season. They're running away with the league as things stand, doing well in the Cup. So I just hope that Wolves fans will really start getting behind the Wolves women and going along to support them at Castlecroft when they can, when it's allowed, hopefully not too far away, because they do certainly deserve that support. Thank you, Tim. Cheers, Jackie. They've been, been got to say, they've been through the ringer, those those Wolves women over the last uh, 18 months, so ridiculous. But um shame we can't go and see them, really, because I, I, I bet they score in the first half. <laughs> exactly. Honestly, I'm dying to go and watch them play whenever <laughs> it's allowed. It would be, it'd be really good to do a, a double, a men and women double, try and get to two games. That would be good. And... Um, get out of Surrey that would be great too but anything else you want to tell us about Tim that you're going to be writing about this week can you tell us or is it a giant secret that only you and Dr Spears are allowed to know no I've got I've got a piece coming out this week which you're going to love actually um really kind of delving deep into the many hurdles and obstacles that, that Wolves and all teams have had to overcome this year um in terms of fatigue and injuries and preparation loads and loads of detail definitely you're gonna love that one so be out on late this week late this week That is right up my street. You're getting to know me a little bit after a year and a bit. Thank you, Tim. And you can subscribe to The Athletic for just £3.99 a month for six months, reading all of Tim's fine work. That's 40% off the full subscription price. Go to theathletic.co.uk forward slash wolvespod for your 40% discount. Thank you to Tim and also to James Pearce for joining us this week. We'll be back with the Molyneux View next week with full reaction to that Wolves-Liverpool game. And we'll preview something. I don't know what, because it'll be another three weeks until the next game. But we'll have something of vague interest to talk to you about. Bye for now. The Athletic.